Hello and welcome to another episode of Northwestify, the podcast about tech and business in the Northwest. We are here today with Naomi Timperley. Hello, Naomi. Hi, how are you? Very good, thanks. How are you? Thanks for coming um, on. I think it's fair to say, Naomi, you're Manchester famous. That's how that's how Zach more or less introduced you to it. Is that is that fair? No, that's no? not true. No, that's not okay. true. No. I think I think we'll find we'll find out as the podcast goes on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, brilliant. And uh with me in the studio, uh sorry, I should say on Zoom is uh, Zach Georgia. Hi Zach. Hi everyone. Um so I think we've got a pretty good show in front of us today. Naomi, um do you mind just start off by telling us a little bit about you? Yeah, so I am a 50-year-old, I identify as 41, though I won't might add that, uh, mother of two, married to Max, and I uh, work for myself. So I, I do I, I do a number of different things, and I wear lots of different hats. So just to sort of give you a, a very brief summary, I'm co-founder of a consultancy called We Are GSI, which I run with a wonderful man called Bikash Shah. I'm also co-founder of Tech North Advocates, which is a private sector-led advocacy that champions tech in the North. And that's part of something called Global Tech Advocates, which is about 15,000 people strong across the world. And, and essentially that allows Tech North Advocates to be greater connected. I'm also chair of the Industry Advisory Board at the University of Salford Business School. And I spend about 50% of my time working with uh, businesses that want to scale up. But I also work with a huge amount of startups and I do that through programs that I design and deliver for various different organizations in the private and public sector. I mean, I do a load of other stuff as well, but yeah, we'll talk about that in a that bit. Sounds like, you know, um, I've, I've got your um, LinkedIn profile open in front of me as well. And that does very much sound like the tip of the iceberg. So it sounds like you're a very busy person. Yeah. Um, and doing lots of things. But I, I've got tons of questions I'd love to ask you about. I'm particularly interested in startups and scale-ups you mind if we start mm-hmm. there so yeah go for it. what kind of work do you do like and how do you maybe distinguish between those so what what do you do with startups what's what's a good startup for you to to work with okay so so I'm generally working with very early stage startups so the programs that I do are generally aimed at the startup market so for example um I've been working historically for the last I think maybe six seven years with MMU's inner space on their startup boot camps that we do twice a year. And that will be people who have got either the seedling of an idea or they might be trading and uh, essentially will go through a a programme which will make sure that they've got all the essentials right. So just to give you an example, um, you know, if it was somebody who had a seedling idea, uh, we'd be working with them on, you know, what that idea looks like, what problem they're solving, you know, who are their customers, that kind of thing. Then we're sort of moving on to, you know, what, what does the business model look like? What's the value proposition? And then, you know, I think there's, there's, there's loads and loads of startup programs, but I think sometimes people miss out on the very, very basics. And the thing is, I also then work with startups on sort of other programs where they have been trading maybe for a couple of years, but actually they haven't done those basic things. So sometimes we've got to go back to the drawing board because actually that's stopping them going any further. That That's interesting isn't it? because I think from an outsider looking in, not familiar with startups, I think we, we think, some of us, that it's all like, hey, I've got an idea. I walk into one of these places and they bite my hand off. And reality is far from that, right? It's like, to get getting any support when you are at the idea stage is challenging. So it's great that you're doing it, but you must have to be quite picky. 
Um, well, I generally, if I'm running the programs, I'm not the one that's picking the startups that are coming on them. But, you know, sometimes I, I am. And one thing I will say is that, you know, it's not easy starting a business. Uh, you've got to take a leap of faith. I think the biggest thing that I see is a lack of confidence. So I've, I've mentored about 400 businesses over the last um, 10 years. And a lot of the, that mentoring has been with the with the founders and a lot of it has been um, the mentoring side of things has been is just helping them with their confidence, but also being that advocate for them and being that not a shoulder to cry on, but that person that they can bounce ideas off and somebody who's going to hold them accountable. Um, because when you're first starting a business, it's a very lonely place. Um, I'm sure that you know this, Zach. And I always think it's really good to have positive people around you. Um, I would always say, um, like all the programs that I do have all, all got mentoring in, involved in them. I think mentoring is essential at that very early stage. And it's something, you know, I think a lot of people think they can do everything themselves and they, they're scared to ask for help. And I'm guilty of that as well. But yeah, I think just getting those real essentials right first and doing that research. The amount of people that I come across on programs that say, yes, I, I've got this idea and I, I'm doing this. And this and I'm, okay, who, who are your customers? And they have no clue because they've not done any basic research. I mean, I can relate to, to, to what he's saying. It's a fascinating, lonely, exciting, scary, you know, the amount of emotion that runs through when you're starting up, you know, and, you know, somebody like myself who'd been in recruitment for 20 years nearly, well, it's about 17 years before I started up my own business, solely my own. I've been involved in businesses and scaled a business from like, five people to 140 people and it was amazingly exciting but then you go on your own and all of a sudden it's just you and your business partner on a lot of occasions and you self-fund and you think you've got the platform but all of a sudden you're wearing a gazillion different hats and it, it, it's fascinating and, and and I love the fact that you say about the, you need that support you need to bounce off you need somebody to challenge you you know somebody said to me just recently they said to me um what's the what's the hardest thing about setting up your own business you know what's the most challenging area and I said well it's all challenging it's it's challenging but it's just different challenges at different times you know when we first started it was oh my god here's two of us in an office sat there with no platform and, and off we go to employing your first person having to find wages to self-funding for the first nine months of your career and your journey and so on and so on to now where we're at, where we, you know, there's 20, 20 people at the moment, soon to be 24, 25 people. And knowing that you have to wake up every single month with X amount of money in your bank. So, you know, there's so many different challenges on the way. So I love the fact that of what you're doing there and, and how exciting that is. What well, one thing I just, just to add really quickly as well, though, um, it's very difficult for a lot of people to be able to navigate where they need to go for support when they first start a business. Sometimes just having the right conversation with the right person is key. And, but sometimes that can, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they were saying that they'd worked with this amazing med tech uh, startup that actually they probably could have done it in a year, but it took them three years because they spoke to all the wrong people at the beginning. That's really interesting. You know, I was, when you said you work for 400 businesses, the amount of information in your head and those, either oh, the, con, the contacts, it's insane. Yeah, the contacts, the resources, the, you need to do this first, the stuff that I'm going to say, you can't Google that because 
when you Google it, you hit the, the you hit the ones that got the SEO juice rather than the ones that are actually useful. Yeah. And you're going to help them navigate, find, you know, you're going to either be the mentor or find the next mentor or find a mentor for this and a mentor for that. I want to come back to something you said about lack of confidence. And um, I'm, I'm glad to say, I know Zach doesn't lack any confidence, but that's, <laughs> that's why they've been so successful. Um, but um, it's interesting. I'm going to say it surprises me because I would have thought that someone starting a business self-selects as being slightly more confident. You know, I've got an idea. I want, I think my idea is better than the other idea. Um, and therefore you're already a step beyond the average, but are you, and I guess my question then is how does that negatively manifest itself in their uh, growing their business? Is it like not get, not reaching out to the right people, not, not presenting their idea clearly enough and, getting funding or having troubles with sales or recruiting? I, I think, again, I work with people from very various different stages. And I, I think, you know, I hate this term, but it, a lot of it's got to do with imposter syndrome. So, you know, people, um, you know, I've got a friend who, just going to give an example, I've got a friend who, who's literally just gone freelance um, a couple of months ago. And um, she rang me this morning and she was she was in tears and she was like, um, you know, I've sent this thing across to my my client. It's like a second, you know, client. And, um, you know, he, he's emailed me back immediately and said he wants a Teams call. And I said, well, that's good. I said, don't take that as a negative thing. I said, that's just because he wants to go through what you've sent him. I said, that doesn't mean that you've done the wrong thing. And and the thing is, I think, I think you know, going back to that, that piece I said about he's generally either a solo person or you might be lucky and you've got a co-founder. It's a very dark scary place and you've got so many hats to spin and you're so busy and so consumed with it it takes over your life my very first business was uh, an events company that I bought over from the states and I had two young children when I was doing it and I remember I was juggling the the, the kids and everything else and I'd been a I'd been a stay-at-home mum for about four years previous to that I worked in recruitment but we'll come back to that in a minute Zach and I remember I was literally had a laptop attached to my knees because I was doing it while looking after the kids and everything and then doing it late into the night. And I, after about a year, I remember seeing my daughter mimicking me and she was pretending that she was on the phone to the woman that did the PR for this events company. And I was like, right, this is not good because li literally these kids, are, they, you know, my two daughters are incredible now, but I, I, I knew that I had to change the way I worked. So I think one thing that you do do when you work for yourself is you learn how to work smart. And it's very different to, to sometimes, you know, obviously you want your employees to do that as well, but that's not always the case. But when you work for yourself, you work incredibly smart. Yeah, I love that. And actually, I, I've written down the word busy because there's so busy much. To, yeah, busy fool. Exactly. Because you've got so much to do. Your um, and all of it seems important, and you don't know how to navigate that. And again, it comes back to the mentoring where you go, "That ah, stuff doesn't yeah. matter. You need yeah. to you need to ring back that guy who wants the teams call. Like you, yep. the guy you need to. That's where you need to spend the time. Not, I don't know, some some uh, campaign that you're building that yeah. might might bring in business in three months time. Yeah, yeah. It is. I mean, it, it's fascinating. I can relate so much to that because I had young children. I just took on a massive mortgage. 
and you self-fund. And, you know, the interesting thing about it with, with all of that is actually people are also very, very good. If you turn around to somebody when you've set up your business, say, can you pay me a bit earlier? People will do. People want to support you on that journey. And I think that fear element that you have in your head, because you do and you have it all the way through and there's the worry and there's anxiety and there's everything that comes with it. But people are there to support you and people do want you to do well. No one wants to see anybody fail. Everyone wants to see them be successful. And I think going on that journey myself, it, it takes me back every now and again to, to, to sort of think where we are. But then going back to the confidence thing that you, you mentioned earlier on, I've always found myself to be a person that almost, if I'm in my comfort zone, I get bored, <laughs> you know. And I think for me, it, it, when you're setting up your own business, by being on edge all yeah. the time and innovating, yeah. it, 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 <laughs> innovating yeah. <laughs> all yeah. the time is exactly what I think takes you. And, you know, yeah, it's such an exciting journey. It really is. One, one thing I would say is, is obviously, you know, you've got TV shows like The Apprentice and Dragon's Den and stuff like that. And I went on Dragon's Den a long time ago. And I think people have this misconception that, that you know, having a startup is going to be really cool and, you know, you're going to do this and do that. And it's and there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. And there's a lot of people, I'm going to say a rude word there, there's a lot of people that are full of shit and that will try and steer you or, or they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm an expert in this and I get expert in that. And, and you know, I'm, I'm one of those people. I remember doing one of those, like, psychosymmetric testings years ago. And when the report came out, it said to me that you need to try and control, control your body language and your facial expressions. Because if somebody says... You know, if, if I've been sort of like I, I've I've navigated the swimming pool or cesspit of bad people. And I, I know that uh, there's probably lots of people that don't like me. And, and actually, I think because I've got to the age that I'm at now, I really don't care. But I think that there is a, a lot of a lot of smoke and mirrors. There's a lot of bullshit. And I think there's a lot of people that think it's going to be easy and it's not easy. You know, I can absolutely 100 percent relate to you on that. I think when you are younger when you are more immature, you are more concerned about what people think about you and stuff like that. When you've gone through what you've gone through to get yourself to where you get to, you know, I've seen the saying of the tip of the iceberg, people look at that tip of the iceberg, but they really don't know what's gone on underneath to actually get to that far. And most people, certainly all, all people that I see as being successful, and I class myself as not, not there yet, but certainly wanting to get there to where I want to get to, are able to analyse and able to understand and able to accept. They're never quite there. They're never quite what they want to be. They're constantly pushing and driving forward and more importantly, learning all the time from those people around them. So, um, But just before we um, carry on in relation to the start, I, I want to just touch a little bit more on your background as well, Naomi, and find out you... You're now in Manchester. We called you famous at the start. We said that certainly you give a lot back to the community. I do. Amount back, yeah. You know, schools, all that type of stuff. I'm really excited about this tech festival. I want to find out more about that. But how did you end up here? How did you, because you were, were you from Farnborough originally? Or yeah, so, so, yeah, so my dad was in the army. Uh, me and my brother were born in uh, Barnsley in North Devon. And then we moved to Chatham in Kent, where my sister was born. And then we moved to Bulford, which is just outside of Salisbury and right near Stonehenge. That was in the back garden. 
Um, and then we moved to a place called North Camp, which is uh, an area of farm, but which is near Aldershot. So my dad was in the army and he left the army when I was about. So I moved into farm when I was about four and a half, stayed there until I was about 25. But in between that, my parents divorced. Um, my dad went back down to Devon. My mum my went out with this dodgy truck driver from Hartlepool, but that's another story. Uh, and then I my first career was in the travel sector. So I worked, um, I, my first job was at Lumpoly and we had top selling shop in Camberley in Surrey. And I worked with them for about three years. Then I went to work for Balkan Holidays in London, um, which is a tour operator that specialises in Bulgaria, Romania and the former Yugoslavia. And in between that, I'd had had a boyfriend and I'd split up with him. And I thought, you know what, I want to go abroad for a bit. So I, I went to Bulgaria and I did two summer seasons at the beach and two um, ski seasons in the mountains. Basically, in the, in the, in the winter, I was a ski bum. Um, I don't like a bar job, but I wasn't very good at it. And I drank a lot of vodka. Um, and then whilst I was working in Bulgaria, because I used to come home in between seasons, my mum split up with that dodgy truck driver from Hartlepool, moved up to Warrington because she had some family up here because her father was in the army. He was the youngest colonel in the British army in the 50s and they'd moved everywhere, but he got medically discharged. And uh, so he, they had a house in, in North Devon, but they also had a house in Shorten. So some of her brothers stayed up here that's how she ended up here that's how I ended up here I stayed in Bulgaria for another year and a half because I didn't want to live in Warrington apologies to anyone who's from Warrington but I didn't like Warrington and then I met my husband Max who's from Sale through mutual friends in Bulgaria and that's why I'm here now but my first first job sort of leaving travel I I, I worked in tech recruitment I worked for uh really on computer wow. people in Altrincham um, it was in, this was in the late 90s. I went for job as an admin assistant. So I didn't go to uni. I didn't do particularly well at school. And I went for job as an admin assistant. And they said to me, oh, you're overqualified. This is what the recruitment consultant uh, that had put me forward for it. Um, I think it was connections or something. And I said, well, that's a load of bollocks. I said, they've got other jobs there. I want one of those other jobs, those recruitment jobs. And they were like, oh, no, you can't because they've got like a graduate policy. So I basically bypassed connection because they weren't going to do anything faxed a letter like faxed obviously that thing that used to put a piece of paper through a machine and it goes through the other side and I said to them I want half an hour of your time because I want to uh, persuade you why you need to give me a job as a recruitment consultant they rang me immediately got an interview and I got a job three years later I was an account manager for Vertex <laughs> no way so <laughs> yeah. did, you work, did you work for John John Hitchener I did yes um but yeah, I then then worked in uh, helped set up a travel recruitment company called CNM uh, with another guy called Jason who had worked I think for maybe Computer Futures or something, but also had a travel background. And then I took four years out um, to have my two daughters, and then randomly came across an American events company called Baby Loves Disco, uh, which was in twenty seven cities across America and been purely spread by the mummy word of mouth and PR and great. Uh, brand partnerships and I was like oh my god I've not been to a disco for a year like four years I said I want this in Manchester so I emailed them and I said have you thought about bringing it to the UK I'd love to do it blah 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 they emailed me back and said well actually some Sky News presenter uh, tried to do it but she just copied the idea rather than use our brand and if you wanted to do it you've got to do it in London and that was in the January of 2007 in September 2007 I launched it in um, London and Manchester Within two years, we had 
a TV advertised album with Universal. We're in nine cities across the UK, a licensing deal with Butlins and did loads of other really cool stuff. Like, um, you know, I think the biggest event I did was at the Royal Festival Hall for 2000 parents and kids. So, yeah, I've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's funny though because isn't it you know how you sort of end up I mean a lot of people have come to Manchester that weren't originally from Manchester and I think you know certainly I'm seeing a, a, an incredibly growing trend in relation to where everyone used to gravitate towards London actually a lot more and more people are now starting to gravitate somewhere like Manchester because it's got everything that you want at such a lower price I, I've been here longer than I was in Farnborough yeah and it, but it just shows you doesn't it you know how you, you've come and you've these ideas and then all of a sudden you've immersed yourself in the tech scene. How did it, was it because of the tech recruitment that you became involved? No, no, right. not at all. So um, I did, had the events thing, in, launched it in 2007 and it was crazy. Like literally before we even launched, we had a two page spread in the Saturday Times Knowledge Supplement. So the PR was insane. Literally, it was a really good story. So I went from being a stay at home mum to doing interviews in the Times, um, which was really surreal. And um, then I was hounded by the BBC to do Dragon's Den, which I did with my business partner in, I think we filmed in May of 2008 and it went out on the TV in September 2008. We got off an investment by Deborah Meaden, but turned it down because she wanted too much equity, blah, 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 blah. Um, and um, yeah, they did a follow-up show. Deborah came up and did Baby Loves Bollywood, actually, which was good for fun. Um, and then they did a, another follow-up as well, actually, after that. But it, it was it was after doing Dragon's Den, I started getting involved with uh, female entrepreneurship and youth entrepreneurship at universities. I started getting asked to talk at different things. And then just through that, um, after running the events business for about four years, I set up a youth enterprise employability company called Enterprise Lab with two guys that I met on Twitter. So sold my shares to our Scottish host mum, Leslie. Um, who up until recently was still running it. And I had Enterprise Lab for about three years. Um, Enterprise Lab is, is, is still running. I came away from it after three years purely because they went into a direction that I didn't want to go to. But that was to bridge the gap between education, employment and enterprise and also a lot around entrepreneurial thinking. So I started helping people with ideas or people that didn't have ideas and helping them create business models out of that. And after that, I then sort of just went off on my own um, and then obviously you know been involved in a few things I did have a job very temporarily the first job that I'd had in 18 years which was in started in January 2020 finished in April 2020 because of a lockdown I won't be dipping my toe back in that pool again but um, yeah it, it's all sort of it's all come from that sort of startup and the, the enterprise employability thing and it's just happened that I've historically worked with more tech and digital businesses and a lot of creative businesses rather than other things and you know I suppose you know interestingly I've been really proud something that I'm super proud of I've been in some of the influential women lists that Computer Weekly do so last year um, I was the third most influential woman in UK tech I used to read Computer Weekly um, <laughs> when I worked in tech recruitment so you know it was like my sort of bible to so to be recognized for, you know, I can't write a line of code, but I support the tech ecosystem and the, you know, the startups and, and, and that type of thing. And yeah, it, I think for me, 
that's it, it was all by accident Zach I said that in a very long-winded way but it was all by accident it's got nothing to do with Rulion <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting sorry John I know you probably want to jump in but um it's interesting because that must have been an amazing thing for you to go into computer weekly and be classed as number three because that was our bible you know any listeners, just so you know, what Naomi said earlier was, yes, we did use fax machines, and yes, they were alien, and yes, they took a long time, and yes, we looked at trade press, and yes, when we got a CV, that was through the post box, and it came yeah. in, a, in a letter And we had Rolodexes. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a ping around, I've got the CV straight away. Do, so, do you know what? I still remember the first guy that I placed. He was a C++ programmer called Ravji Patel, and I placed him at Vertex. How sad is that? I can still remember that. <laughs> it's quite cute, though. Yeah, it is. It's good. It's good. John? Yeah, I'm obviously really interested in the tech side of things, uh, as you probably already know, Naomi. So I want to hear a little bit about the Manchester Tech Festival and how that started. Oh, so it, it was born out of um, a number of community groups, to be fair. So um, I'm part of a group called Text in the City that's run by uh, Amy Newton and Dan Smart. I've known a- Amy for years and years. And we, you know, during lockdown, it was obviously it was very hard for everybody. And I think that the, the sort of shining thing that came out of community groups is that, you know, if people were, we had this thing called Wednesdays Without. So um, it was a bit like a sort of, you'd get on the call, there'd be quite a few of you. And sometimes you'd be on this Zoom for like four, three, four hours. Wine was sometimes involved. And it was really, you know, just supporting people that were struggling with the mental health. Um, and, you know, there was, you know, we did also did a couple of events that focused on men because I think men find it harder to talk about um, the mental health as well. And then historically... I've been to hundreds and hundreds of events and going into something where you don't feel like you're part of a community is a really big thing for me. So I like to go to things on my own, but sometimes I'm scared to go things on on my own because actually when you go into something and you're presented with 120 exhibition booths and then you've got the speaker things on the the side and actually sometimes you can't hear them. And I I think the bit of the best event, tech event that Manchester's ever had was Business Rocks. For me, the community around that was really good. So Manchester Tech Festival it was born out of community groups, but actually building something was in a true festival style. So we we um, have people like Stuart Clark um, from Leeds Digital Festival, who sits on our advisory board, uh, Antonio Chombani from Tech Week Cumber. We also spoke to Yanis from Birmingham Tech Week. And we wanted to have something which was not just a big cavernous space, um, at like a big venue. We wanted to have lots of different venues. We wanted to have lots of different types of events. And yeah, uh, Amy, um, you know, went to six companies with an idea on a piece of paper. Um, five of our founding partners and said, look, um, we want to do this. We think it's a really good idea. We need some money. Uh, would you be interested in, in being a founding partner? And that's how it came about. And it's, it's sort of grown into, uh, we've got, it's very different to a lot of things. So we've got whole series of events into the lead up to it. So we had a launch event in February. We had our first town hall in March. So basically a town hall in sort of event speak is where you go out to the community and you say, what don't you like about um, events? What do you like and what tracks do you want? So when I say tracks, I mean subject matters. So it's very much like we're listening to the community. We want the community to be involved. And uh, we've got a couple of core events. So we've got a leadership thing going on the Monday. 
Uh, we're looking at doing on the Tuesday um, women in tech, but also um, a cyber challenge, which is going to involve a little bit like a sort of cyber scavenger hunt around the, 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 uh, the city. And then on the Wednesday and Thursday, we're at the iconic Victoria Bath, which is, is, is the biggest, I, I suppose, event. So that's got up to a thousand people and we've got the entire venue and it's going to re- be a real mix of, you know, debates, uh, lightning talks, got two hackathons. And then on the Friday, we're doing some stuff with the, the amazing people at Bonded Warehouse. Um, and then there's meetups and then there's socials in the evening. So it's a whole calendar of things in total, including the run-up. It's about 35 to 40 events. So it's no mean feat. There's going to be fringe events, but it's going to, I want any one of you to be able to walk into one of our things and feel welcome. And that's the biggest thing. It's great. I mean, it's absolutely perfect. I mean, you know, we, I think it was it's well published now, isn't it? We are um without doubt the number one tech city outside of London in the UK. Andy Burnham has that sort of wish for us to be the number one in Europe, I believe, if I remember rightly. Um, it's great that we are doing something like this because it's just continually putting us on the map. And I think, you know, I, I also what I really like about your idea. Um, is the fact that it's it's a festival in a, in its proper sense rather than an event. How many times have you seen throughout the years, whatever industry in, whether you're in engineering, whether you're in tech, whether you're in aerospace, whatever it is, you go to an event that's hosted at a massive the NEC or any of these places, GMAX, and it's on for three days. You turn up, you walk around, you smile at people, you say hello. Get to some people. free pens. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is something that's sort of interactive and it's involving and it's little tiny little micro events going on, which I think is really, really cool. So, yeah, well done on that. Uh, just just one thing just also to add is, is you know, yeah, it's all well and good, um, um, Andy, saying that we want to be um, number one in Europe. But let's not forget that Greater Manchester has some of the most deprived areas in the UK. There are people that live in Greater Manchester that do not have access to the internet and they do not have access to hardware and I think another thing that came out of lockdown was seeing the fact that actually a lot of kids were excluded because they were having to share maybe one phone or they didn't have a laptop so one of the other things that we're doing is is really supporting you know the the wider um, community and um, you know trying to get um, hardware so repurposing hardware getting businesses to donate hours so they can go and talk to schools you know, I'm a, I'm a volunteer enterprise advisor to two, two local schools in my area. It takes up a couple of hours of my time every month. That's it, right? But I know that I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a good thing. And also I'm talking to young people um, about actually the, the, the um, you know, what's going on in Manchester because we will have a massive skills gap if we don't enable young people to be able to, to, to skill up. Yeah, do you know something? It's, it's quite interesting to me. It's something that I'm, I've been doing as well over the past couple of years. I presented at Eccles College about sort of it was about two months ago, I think, off the top of my head, something like that. And I've also been involved in Young Enterprise doing a, a sort of mini Dragon's Den mm. for a number of people. And I think what's interesting, certainly from what you're saying there, is the educational piece is great. But personally, from a satisfaction piece that you're giving back is what I love doing as well. You know, I love that fact that, you know, these people are looking at you. And I remember when I was at college and I was no angel. Um, so, um, and like they're looking at you, but actually if you can just get one 
one or two little key messages across to these people. That's, you know, you'll stand there and present for a whole hour, but they only need to take one or two key messages across. And it's so satisfying. It's so good for them. So, um, John. Yeah, I just want to bring something in because we've, we've had Amanda Newman on this show before, um, the career mom, and I've personally worked with her to try and, you know, bring events to local schools. And it's difficult, like it's challenging. So it sounds like... Naomi, there's already a structure in place and you're looking for volunteers to come forward and speak. So, yeah, we, we've we've obviously got, um, you know, we've got our, our eye on a lot of speakers. Um, it's a free it's a free event. So we want this to be available to everyone. We don't have a massive budget for speakers and things like that. that, that that's not what this is about. But, um, you know, we've got some we've got our eye on some incredible speakers. But also this is about, you know, telling people stories. So it's like the, the good, the bad and the ugly. And we want to hear those horror stories, but we want people to be talking deeply about what they're passionate about. So another thing that we're doing as part of the festival is we're running a series of workshops to train people how to speak. So those junior members of staff, for example, or perhaps um, other people that you've got in in the business that, that, um, you know, really passionate about what they do, but don't feel that they've got the confidence or the skills to be able to speak in front of an audience. We're going to train them to do that. But what I would say is just to point out that um, our advisory board is incredibly diverse and that's not by design, that's by default. So that's what's in our community. And I think one thing that you won't be seeing is a uh, panels of stale male and pale, but also stale male and female, because it, it, it's really, really important. I sit on a number of different boards, right? And what you've got to think about is your our festival has to be representative of Greater Manchester, and we have a diverse population, yeah. and I think that's really, really important. That's absolutely fantastic. So I know there's only one of you, Naomi. Are you looking to get businesses and individuals who are uh, hopefully as passionate as you are about this to connect with you and be part of it? So through uh, Manchester Tech Festival, one thing that we are going to be doing is something called a thousand hours. Okay, um, it's not on the website yet. And we are going to be asking um, people that are coming to the festival to donate one hour of their time a year, right? Some people might want to donate 12 hours of the time, and that's fantastic. But if we can get to a goal of 1,000 hours, which are going to have people going into a school or a college, no matter what stage of their career at, and just talking to, to young people, the better. Because actually work experiences have been cut. So actually having employer, employers coming in but also employers do it giving, you know, students challenges and things like that. And this is the same thing, not only for schools, but also for colleges and universities, because I do think that actually, you know, I think people need to see people that work in the industry, but they also need to see all the different types of people. And let's not forget that the tech sector is not just about coding. We need people like us that support the ecosystem. We also need people that can communicate. We know we, we need people that can lead. We need people that can, can, can uh, you know, can do marketing and things like that. We, we need people that can do UX design. They're, I think a lot of young people, a lot of careers educators actually are very naive, um, not naive, that's the wrong word, are very ignorant about the different types of roles. So when I did this talk at Sale High, I had on a board a load of different job titles and asked the kids about whether they knew what these job titles meant and most of them didn't i was uh, brilliant i was going to jump in there but i think zach put his hand up as well because we're probably going to say the same thing 
Go on, you go, Jack, and then I'll see if... We'll no, see. no, you go, you go. go you we've go. had we've talked about this before, Naomi, and about the diversity of, of skills that are needed. You know, you talk about in, uh, in tech, and you're right. It's People think, oh, I don't want to work in tech because I can't code or don't want to code. We're like, no, there's so much more. Yeah. Or, and digital, actually, really, we should call it. Um, there are every, you know, we I work with product owners and investors, and I'm very much on the, the coding side of, of the uh, of the industry but you know you've got all your creative sides and and selling you need people to sell the yeah, stuff exactly <laughs> and and those people need to understand what they're selling and i think our you know our best sales people are the ones who are savvy right we don't again you don't have to write a line of code to be savvy about understanding the digital propositions that you're selling so brilliant uh, yeah i love it i love i really like the visual idea of putting up all the titles on a board and you know there must be there's got to be 50, 100 titles you could put up there and people go, no, no, no idea what those are. So love it. I mean, I, I, I am so on the same page as you because I, I, I do exactly the same thing. It's about getting them to relate to the fact that yeah. every single day use in their life currently, yeah. somebody's technology. made that, yeah. you know, somebody but, clever's coded that. Yeah. But can I just say one more thing, though? I think they're also one of the other things that I do is I say to the young people, like I had no idea what I wanted to do when I was at school. But I'll say, you know, has anyone got an idea about what they want to do? And then, you know, you're always going to get a couple of kids that will say, right, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I will then talk to them about the tech that is in the jobs that they want to do. And actually talk to them about the fact that when I worked at my first job, um, phones were, you know, phones, people used to have batteries that they used to carry in briefcases because the phones were that enormous but also the fact that technology moves so quickly and actually there's going to be jobs in five years time that are not around now because of technology yeah totally um unfortunately we're running to the end i'd love to talk for more and I more do. I love it. <laughs> um so but if you could leave us with one thing, we always talk about this, don't we? If you would leave us with one particular thing, um, one piece of advice for whether that be um, somebody scaling up, somebody starting a new business, somebody young out there in the community, just one piece of advice you can give us that would be massively helpful. Oh, it's very difficult. You just said one piece of advice. And I'm literally going to just, I'm going to say two things, okay? So one first thing is don't be an arsehole. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, and then also the second thing is that if you are a startup or you've got somebody who has got an idea, do your research, and but really do deep research. Find out exactly whether you, you might think that you've got a, an idea because it's solving a particular problem, but actually speak to your potential customers and speak to the people that are actually going to physically put their hand in the pocket to pay you for the thing, the idea, whether it's a service or product. I think that's the key thing. But yeah, I would say the main thing is don't be an arsehole. John, anything from you? No, that was brilliant. Thank you very, very much. We could talk easily for another hour. I don't think we've covered even half of the stuff we'd like to talk to you about, probably get you back on if, uh, if you're willing to do that. I'd love to. I'd love to. I'd love to. Thank you so much. We've talked, we've talked in the past uh, about education and, and the next generation of people 
in digital. And I think we might do a special on that because it's uh, so important and you're doing so much in that space. So thank you, Naomi, for coming on. Just a shout out for the Manchester Tech Festival, which is coming up. Um, it looks brilliant. I, I'm definitely going to be trying to get down and taking part in as much of that as I can. And thank you very much for listening. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show, we're available in the usual places. We're on LinkedIn. You can contact either myself or Zach. We also have our own page, the northwest.co.uk. You can message us there. Thank you.